Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you're always up to date. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com. In addition to episodes of the show, thejazzsession.com features written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of great jazz links. I'm very happy to report that the Jazz Session is back up and running. My move from uh, Rochester, New York to Albany, New York kind of kicked the show mostly off the air for a while, but uh, it's back up. We've got guests booked solidly through the next uh, month and a half or two, including some uh, really exciting names, and I'll tell you more about that after today's show. This week's guest is pianist and composer Aaron Parks. He's just released his debut for the Blue Note label. It's an album called Invisible Cinema, and from that album, this is the opening track, Travelers. My guest is Aaron Parks. His debut for the Blue Note label is called Invisible Cinema, and uh, it's a fantastic record, and I'm really excited to have Aaron on the show. Aaron, thanks so much for being on the Jazz Session. Thanks for having me, Jason. So I was uh, I was feeling all smart, and uh, I always listen to the the records before I read anything that the, that the label sends in promotional material, because I just want to hear it on its own merits. So I was listening to the record and I was thinking, man, if, if this isn't a concept album, I don't, I don't know what is. And uh, <laughs> thinking how well it all flowed together and it really sounded like a story even though there was no words. And then I take out the artist bio and like this fifth line is, uh, I was thinking about actual cinema and this album has a storyline. So can you talk a little bit more about that and uh, about how you make an instrumental album with a, with a concept that comes across even without words? I think that the songs 
they were all sort of originally conceived individually, but the song sequence just means a lot. I mean, the the tracks themselves, they have um, a certain way that they flow, that they build naturally, that sort of creates a sense of drama. And the thing about the musicians all on the record, Eric Harland, Matt Penman, Mike Moreno, they all really have very natural, um, intuitive senses of drama um, that really were very conducive to um, the type of music. And, you know, really, they're the way that they played created the storyline itself as well. I mean, I had a lot of stuff that was planned out that was structured, but I also wanted to leave a lot of things very open to let them develop the way that they naturally do. Was it necessary for them to understand the narrative for it to work? or No, no um, they understood the narrative of the songs individually um, rather than the overarching sort of story of the album. The, the funny thing about how it came together is I had this idea, I had, this, I had the album title, I had Invisible Cinema, but when I was recording the songs, um, I didn't have the whole overarching picture yet together in my mind. It was the way that the individual tracks came together and the stories of those songs, um, the way that they built individually, I put them together once I had a sequence, and some of the song titles even changed to accommodate um, that new story that was just built in the moment. Was this music that you were uh, trying out in performance in other settings, or was it all fresh for the first time in the recording studio? Some of the music is very, very old. Some of it is probably like has its roots back as far as six or seven years ago, um, and some of it is brand new stuff that I had never played before. Um, we had gone into the studio. Um, uh, one of the songs, Nemesis, I had written um, for Kurt Rosenwinkel originally. Um, Peaceful Warrior is a song that I wrote for Lionel. Um, some of them, but then there are other songs that um, really I hadn't had them take life until we played them um, in the studio. I think, uh, well, especially in the, in the forms that they took on the record, songs like Riddle Me This. Um, it I'd played that song live before, but it never came together in quite the same way that it did on the record. Can you talk a little bit about how you chose uh, the musicians? Folks who are familiar with you already will have some insight into how some of these particular names are on this record, but will you talk a little bit about uh, how this particular band came together? Absolutely. Um, the band came together, um, well, the first thing that I thought of was the drums. My music is very, very drum-driven, and the guy who I really consider one of my musical soulmates is Eric Harland, and he was the obvious, natural, only choice, pretty much, for the drum chair, for the record. Um, and I was really happy that he was able to make it. Um, I played with Eric um, first in Terrence Blanchard's band for a number of years. And then um, he also sort of hooked me up with my gig that I have with Kurt Rosenwinkel now. Um, and he's just been a, a great mentor and a really great supporter, you know, really encouraging to me ever since I first, you know, came to New York. Um, and I met Matt Penman, the bassist, through Eric. We did a tour in Japan together. That was really one of these life-changing musical experiences. Um, and then we also recorded Matt Penman's record, um, Catch of the Day, which is on Fresh Sound New Talent. And um, I think that that's a really great record. We just had a great time. There's a natural thing that Eric and Matt have um, that, for me, it's just, the way that we play together is just kind of like falling off a log. It's so easy. We all ended up just sort of being with each other without even having to think about it. Um, Why was the tour life-changing? 
Why was the tour life-changing? Well, it was a tour with um, Kurt Rosenwinkel on guitar. It was the first time first that I had played um, some of my music quartet with the guitar, and that instrumentation just sort of activated some of my songs. Um, it was also the first time I'd ever played with Kurt. And um, the thing about that tour was we were playing th this music that had a lot of structure to it, but was really unfolding in very, very different ways every night. This was a tour of Japan, and um, it was just one of the most natural music musical experiences. Like, playing with these other musicians, I was just, I felt so comfortable. Like, every one of us felt like we could do anything, and, and everybody else would be there to support us, no matter how crazy of a choice we made. Um, just really, really, really deep listeners. And having that experience it makes it hard to go back to anything less than that. You know, that becomes the ideal. Is that a rare experience, Aaron? It's a very rare experience to have musicians who just understand each other so quickly, so naturally. Um, I mean, it usually takes a very, very long time for that kind of thing to develop. And that tour, almost from the first or second gig, we were just with each other all the time. Like, so, you know, Kurt and I were taking solos that didn't really have clear starts and ends. Like, during his solo, I'd be soloing. During my solo, he'd be soloing. And things were just flowing into each other without having to talk about it at all. Um, yeah, so that was, that, was an amazing, that was an amazing thing for me. Um, I really learned a lot. And, um, yeah, I think there's bootlegs of that tour floating around on the Internet. So... Um, but then on the album, I have Mike Moreno, who's one of my good friends, and I've played together um, in his band a lot, um, with Kendrick Scott's band with Mike. Um, I mean, just practically everybody in New York uses Mike on guitar. Um, and we've got a very, very natural um, shared language thing that's been developing over a number of years now. And I think it's really great for, you know, Mike just sounds amazing on the record. And um, he's, it's really great playing with him live all the time because he's very, very open, has a lot of different textures that he can get out of his instrument. Yeah, you talked about uh, the shared language that you have. And I remember the, the first time I listened to this record and uh, the the beginning of Peaceful Warrior, or the, the beginning, at least his beginning of it, uh, I went and I turned the CD over to see if uh, there was actually a keyboard on this part of the of the album because you guys are so so together it's every every bit of the expression that it's it really just creates between the guitar and the piano a, a new instrument that's kind of the melding of the two of you it's just a a really beautiful moment and it, it really i think expresses what you're talking about about finding a a real common language in which to play without a doubt that's one of the things that i was really really going for because the piano guitar in unison it does create that third instrument when it's done right you know um and that's exactly what i was going for and um we spent a lot of time actually in the mix um, with Dave Darlington, who's a great engineer. Um, when we were mixing the record, we, ne we wanted to make sure that the piano and the guitar really, neither one was sticking out too much in front. Um, we really wanted them to really unify into one sound, so I'm glad that, I'm really glad that that comes across.
when you're playing with both a piano and a guitar at the same time, how do you stay out of each other's way and stay collaborative without muddying the water, so to speak? It seems like that's a lot of fingers all at once. It, it certainly has the potential to be. It has the potential to be an absolute train wreck. Um, the thing about Mike is that he picks his places to comp very carefully, um, and he's much more about colors than he is about adding tons and tons of crazy harmonic language. Um, so that leaves a lot of room open for me to take some more um, liberties with those things, and Mike is, when he comps, it's usually a lot more about single-note ideas, about, um, yeah, just colors. And um, for me, that's great. You know, it's for me, he... You know, there's, there's a certain thing about, like, the Wayne Shorter Quartet, for example. Like, Wayne, even when he's not taking his solo, he's still often playing, like, during Danilo's solos. Um, and he's comping on the saxophone in a very bizarre way that not many people that I've heard have done. And that's a similar thing. I mean, that's what the idea is, really, with the guitar. Using it more of a single-note instrument in general Um and then also we have the potential, of course, when it when you know for him to have a lot more harmony as well because he's got an incredible harmonic vocabulary and richness. Of, you know, his voice is very strong with that as well. So, so, um, but yeah, that's how we avoid that problem. I think. What was the experience of recording this album like? How how much did you bring into the studio with you? How much evolved there? How surprised were you by some of the results? I brought a lot into the studio. I had. I had a lot of things that I thought were going to be sure things. Some, there were some tracks that, we, that I wanted to record and that we tried, and they didn't even work. Like the first track, the, thought, the, the track that I thought was going to be the first track on the album didn't even make the record. Um, um, so certain things definitely came out differently than um, I had planned, but that makes things interesting, you know? Um, I had a lot of stuff planned, but then a lot of things, just the musicians that I have are just so creative. The musicians, I can't say the the musicians that I have, the musicians that I was so fortunate enough to work with on the record, um, they just bring so much. They bring so much of their own individuality um, that unexpected things happen. Like the version of Travelers that starts the record, we didn't even know that the mics were on. We were just sort of playing around... um, trying to get comfortable in the so- um, with the song. And uh, Eric just started playing, and I joined in, and Matt joined in, and um, it ended up being the first track on the record. Just this one, we just happened to have the mics on. You know, they happened to be recording it. So, um, yeah, there's a lot That's of things great. that, you know, just sort of evolved naturally or very spontaneously like that.
can we talk a little bit about uh, how you got how you got your start? I know you had a, a pretty interesting uh, kind of early life and started out very young in some pretty demanding pursuits. Will you talk a little bit about your early life in music? Um, sure. Well, my early life in music, I guess I started really playing the piano when I was 10, just sort of fooling around, making noise, um, trying to mimic the sounds of like a thunderstorm. Um, and I... I did that for a little while, and then I think my parents got tired of me making such a complete and total racket without any sense of order at all, so they suggested that I take some piano lessons. Um, and I was really, really fortunate to have teachers who, basically, they asked me what I wanted to learn. They didn't try to get me um, on some sort of, you know, structured regiment, you know, like of um, piano... Of, classical piano repertoire, learning to read music, all those things. I learned to play by ear first, and um, yeah, my teachers in Seattle just really were much more about, well, what do you want to figure out how to do, and how can we help you do it? Um, so, And what did you want that, to figure out? How, how did you know what, to, what it is you wanted to figure out at that time? I was just trying to figure out how to... I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't even remember all the things that I wanted to know at those points. I wanted to learn what I can do with my left hand. Um, I wanted, you know, I was listening to a lot of, um, well, at first I was listening to Gene Harris a ton. Then I listened to McCoy Tyner. Then I listened to Keith Jarrett for a while. And I wanted to try to figure out how I could get the effects that these people were, were getting in their music. I didn't want to transcribe them or play exactly like them, but I wanted to figure out how to become as expressive. Um, and, yeah, my piano teachers w would show me different things that I could do with my left hand, um, left-handed voicings. Uh, I don't know, just uh, music theory, things that I was trying, that I was um, confused about and didn't really understand how to make them work. Um, yeah, uh, all, all sorts of different things. Sometimes I would bring in a piece of music that I was really stumped on because I couldn't really read very well. And I would slowly, slowly work through it with them until I could figure out how to play it um, more or less by ear after w watching them play it a, a bunch of times. So, and when um, did you decide to, to kind of narrow your focus some and, and really pursue music as a vocation? That was, I'd say that I narrowed my focus um, when I was about... 14 or so. I mean, I started this early entrance program at the University of Washington um, when I was 13 and basically was going to college all the way. Like, I was, yeah, I was doing college right then, um, intending to triple major in math, computer science, and music. And I think at around 14 or so, I did a summer workshop um, at, uh, in Port Townsend. And Joanne Brackeen was a teacher there, and she basically told me that I should figure out a way to come to New York. And I had never even really thought about that idea before, but um, all of a sudden they gave me a goal, and I started to redirect my energy rather than the computer and computers and the math. I started to think more and more about music, um, and eventually I transferred to Manhattan School of Music then when I was 16. Studied with Kenny Barron there, um, which was really great, and also... Um, outside of the school, I studied with Fred Hirsch. Um, so, yeah, I think that just 
the music bug, once it bites, once you reach those states of flow where you forget the entire outside world, really, when you're just there in the moment, that's the thing. That's the thing that gets you. That was the hook for me. And how did you uh, kind of make that step uh, into the the larger jazz world, working with Terrence and and folks of that caliber? Um, well, I was um, fortunate enough that um, when I was studying with Kenny Barron, I guess the story that I hear is that Terrence was looking for a piano player when Ed Simon was um, getting ready to leave the band, and he asked Kenny for a recommendation, and Kenny just recommended me, and um, so I went in and did an audition and. Well, it was kind of a very funny audition. I, what it was supposed to be originally that I heard was that I was going to the studio to just hang out. He had a, a thing on XM radio um, where he was, where it was supposed to be him, I think Ruben Rogers on bass, Eric Harland on drums, and it was going to be Chick Corea on piano. And I was just going to hang out with Terrence and talk with him about music, whatever. But I get to the studio and... Terrence is like, well, I just found out that Chick isn't coming. So you want to do this radio broadcasting with us? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, you know, I was, you know, like 18, right? At, still at Manhattan School of Music. I had just come down from school to do this thing. Um, you know, I didn't even have time to get nervous. You know, um, so I did that, and Wynton Marsalis was moderating, and he was asking me questions about how I thought about improvisation and stuff, and I'm just like, whoa, what is going on? And um, at the end of it, um, at the end of the whole thing, after we were done, Terrence was just like, so, you want to join the band? So I was like, I guess that's how it happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's how it happens for everyone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, it was strangeness. Um, but, You've just revealed the secret. You know, yeah, exactly. That's that's how that's that's exactly how it always goes down. That's right. So all you aspiring so. musicians, listen up. <laughs> before XM and Sirius merge, get down to the studio now. Um what what would you say you you took from your time playing with Terrence? What what still shows up in your music now? 
one of the one of the main things that I learned from him was how important it is to hire musicians that you trust and to let them do what they do. Um, that was the thing that was the most amazing about his band. He never really told us so much how to play. He'd give us these basic ideas for the songs, but then he would let us do our thing and try and fail and sometimes succeed. And um, that allowed for so much just like blossoming and growing together. Um, yeah, he let, the band would sometimes sound amazing and sometimes sound terrible because we'd all be trying different things and really we weren't afraid because he let us take those chances, which not a lot of band leaders do. Um, and that, and being in that experience, it really made me feel like that's the way that that's the way to do it. That's what this music is about. If we're playing improvised music, it needs to have that openness, even, even as much structure as you can build into a piece, you still need to be able to, have the chance to go completely off the page. How do you reconcile that with having with having a vision? For example, having a, an idea for how a particular album is going to sound or what you're trying to achieve with a tune. How do, how do you balance that freedom and structure? That's a tough balance at times. Um, but what you do is you... I mean, what I do is I sort of if I've got a piece that I have a certain thing that I sort of want, like a specific drum idea, um, a lot of times it's influenced by uh, another track of music that has a drum group that I've found that conveys the feeling that has a certain type of momentum. I'll play something like that for Eric to try to get him to understand where I'm coming from, and then I'll see what his own version of that is. Um, and he might take what I have and just stay, stay very close to it, or he might take it and completely explode it apart and find something new. And... Um, yeah, and that's that's just what it is. You you bring your what your idea is, but you can't be too attached to it. You know, um, I th that's that's the thing. You got to hire the musicians that you trust, um, and that's that's what was amazing. I bring these things to Eric, and he comes up with things even better than I could have ever thought of if I had just told him exactly what to play. What to play. Um, so. And then, and that's the thing, like, for myself even, trying to figure out, you know, I write these songs and I structure all these things down to, like, sometimes to, like, the last little tiny detail um, for my piano part. But then the thing is, once I figure all those things out, then I really try to distance myself from it as much as possible and pretend like I'm playing it like it's somebody else's music. And I try to explore all the possibilities around that thing that I structured. So is it a case of needing the structure initially to be able to let go of it eventually? Absolutely. I'm a big proponent of freedom within form. Um, having a certain amount of structure that is set, but knowing that you can break away from it at any time, but also knowing that it's right there to return to. What's coming up next for you? Are you getting a chance to, uh, to tour in support of this album with this band? I am. There's going to be... Um, some stuff going on on the West Coast in October and in New Orleans and Memphis and a couple of other places. Um, those dates I'll have in my MySpace pretty soon. Um, and in September, uh, the Jazz Standard will be playing um, like the 10th and the 11th, which is going to sort of be the official CD release party. And actually, a week, and actually on September 19th and 20th, I'll be doing um, 
gigs at Smalls uh, with a band co-led by myself and Kurt Rosenwinkel um, with the unfortunate acronym, you know, Kurt Rosenwinkel Aaron Parks turns into crap. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, hard not to like that, though. Yeah, it was pretty catchy. Um, so I'll be doing that with Matt Penman and Kendrick Scott on drums on those two days, sort of like the unofficial launch of the record. Um, and then, you know, hopefully more will come. Well, Aaron Parks, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, it's an even greater pleasure listening to the record, and uh, I really encourage folks uh, to check it out, and I hope you'll come back uh, and talk to us about your next project. Without a doubt, Jason. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's Aaron Parks from his new album, Invisible Cinema, his debut for the Blue Note record label. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you're always up to date. 
Of course, you can always listen at thejazzsession.com using the built-in player. And when you go there, you'll find not only all the episodes of the show for free, but also written interviews, live jazz news, and links to lots of great jazz sites and artists. The site also features a link to the Jazz Session Cause of the Month, which actually for quite some time now has been the Tipitina's Foundation, helping to bring music back to New Orleans. And I hope you'll click on that link and give them all the money you can spare. Thanks a lot. For more interviews and reviews, you can also visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find my writing there, beside that of many other jazz experts and fans. You can contact me anytime via email at jason at thejazzsession.com. The Jazz Session mailing list is also available at thejazzsession.com. When you join, you'll get periodic updates about the guests who appear on this show. Coming up in the weeks ahead, we've got interviews with Satoko Fuji, David Sanborn, uh, Henry Grimes, looks like Roswell Rudd will be on the show, uh, Donnie McCaslin is coming back, Joel Harrison will be on the show. Lots of great names, lots of incredible music on the way. So uh, I really hope you'll stay tuned, subscribe to the show, either through iTunes or the RSS feed, and make sure you don't miss an episode because it's going to be a great season. The theme music for this show is by my good friends the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Session logo. And most importantly, thank you so much for listening. Remember to support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.